Well, justice is a buzzword. Uh, nowadays, we, we hear it a lot, uh, social justice and climate justice. Uh, Wonder Woman is a part of the Justice League. Um, <laughs> and so that word justice, it stirs up a lot of uh, strong feelings and associations, uh, which makes uh, some Christians just want to steer clear of that whole subject. But we can't because as uh, Psalm 37, 28 says, the Lord loves justice. And so we, we can't ignore this kind of theme. And not only that, but our sermon series is Walk the Walk, right? And we uh, see from our focus scripture, Micah 6, 8, that in order to walk the walk, it means to walk in justice. Micah 6, 8 states this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So if we're going to walk the walk, that means we're going to need to walk in justice. We can't avoid the issue. We can't run away from it. And so today we're going to look at what does that mean to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. And so we're looking at Micah, again, chapter 6 for answers to that. Now I just quoted Micah 6, 8. So now what am I, what am I hoping you'll, you'll be crying out for? Context. Thank you. Yes. Right? What's the context of that? Because we want to understand it as, as the Lord has revealed it. Well, Micah is one of those prophets not many people know about. I mean, you might think about him when you're ordering a countertop, you know, for Micah. Um, but other than that, <laughs> you, you probably don't think about it much. Well, he was a prophet of the 700s B.C., okay? So Micah was a prophet of the 700s B.C., and he was a prophet who spoke to uh, not only uh, Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah, but he also spoke to the northern kingdom and the capital of Samaria, and he especially highlights the corruption of the leaders of these uh, nations who put their own interests above the interests of the poor and the needy. And they were not walking in the covenant of the Lord. And they were walking in injustice. And they were walking in self-centeredness. And so that's where we pick up Micah chapter 6. So Micah chapter 6 verse 1 says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. I'm going to stop there for a second. So chapter 6 actually takes the form of a covenant lawsuit. It's as if uh, it's, you know, people's court, but it's God's court, right? And there's this lawsuit that God is entering in. He's indicting. He's putting, he's giving charges against his people, and he's calling um, sort of the, the mountains and the earth as witnesses, against his people. And the reason he's going to do that is because he is, um, he's going to talk about how he has kept his end of the bargain and from time uh, past. And so you need something from time past to be a witness. And so like the mountains and whatnot. So God calls the mountains and his land as, as, as witnesses in this lawsuit, in this court of justice. And, and next, in verse 3, God's going to point out from his people's history, evidence that proves he's been faithful. So verse three, O oh my people, what have I done to you? 
How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So here, God is reminding them of his righteous deeds and how he rescued them from Egypt and how he gave them trustworthy leaders like Moses and Miriam and and how he foiled the schemes of the enemy like Balak. And he miraculously led them across the Jordan River uh, to Gilgal. He's reminding them about how he's done all these righteous things. And now verse 6 switches. Now Israel is kind of answering God and his charges. Uh, Verse 6 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So here the rulers are basically asking, All right, well, what does God want then? They're not really disputing the charges. They know they've been unfaithful. They know they've been unjust. And, and they're saying, All right, well, what does God want? Can Can I make up for it? Will God leave me alone if I bring 10,000 rams to sacrifice all my best stuff? Is that what he wants? Or they even say, you know, how about child sacrifice? What if I step it up to that? And of course, that's something that God prohibits. But but again, they're, they're saying, what does God want? And now God's answer is our focus verse. And it's that, no, no, to walk the walk, what I'm looking for, it's not about ritual. It's about righteous conduct. And this is what he says, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So verse 8 sums it up. It's Israel, you have not been walking the walk, even though you may be bringing all sorts of offerings. You may be, be showing up with your duty. Yeah, here's my, here's my offering. But to walk the walk, it's not about rituals. It's about that righteous conduct. So to walk the walk, again, it's not about the lavish rituals. The Lord desires in our walk that we would do justice, that we would love kindness and walk humbly with him. All right, so what does that mean, though? What does that look like, to do justice? Well, it's no surprise here, again, that God wants his people, if we're going to walk the walk, if we're going to reflect him in all that we do, that we would do justice because God is a God of justice. God loves justice. That's what, again, Psalm 37, 28 says, the Lord loves justice. And, but we need to define justice biblically because um, in, in our day and age, it's kind of used as a political catchphrase, right? But we always need to say, all right, let's define things biblically. Because we want to come at everything from the perspective of Scripture and not let our culture define these different terms. Because how we use it now, it's kind of like a a political catchphrase. And it, it kind of, most people use it in terms of like fairness, right? That's not fair. It reminds, so if you're distributing candy today, right? And a, a child comes up and you notice that, you know, that child's nonverbal. 
and his little bucket has so much less candy than the other people because he doesn't speak up when, when he's overlooked. So you'll put a couple extra in that kid's bucket, won't you? But if another kid sees it, what might they say? Well, that's not fair. He got more than me. You see, we, not, we're children and adults alike in our culture, we often gauge justice from a self-centered perspective, right? What's, what's in it for me? Because I should be getting what everyone else is getting. But biblical justice is doing right by God and doing right for others, right? That's what biblical justice is. In fact, if you look up all of the occurrences of justice in the Scripture, and I encourage you to do that, read through, read them in context, of course, and read what it says about justice. And basically, biblical justice is, is tied to God's righteousness. And it's, it's tied to God's righteousness manifesting on earth. And we know that, that one day justice will flow like a river, that when God renews the heavens and the earth and, and does away with all sin and all injustice, then it will be a, a truly just and, and loving world. Like that's when Jesus comes back. Because God is just, he's going to cause the universe to be just. Problem is, until that time, there's injustice in the world. Right? There's sin in the world. There's unfairness in the world. Because the world is fallen. And so, in, in when we read throughout the scripture, when God says do justice, what a lot of times what he's doing is that in the fallen world, he is raising up those who do right by God and do right by others. Those are called the righteous, right? And so a lot of times that word that's translated righteous, sometimes it's, it's, it's translated justice because in the scriptures, those two things are so closely tied together, God's righteousness and justice. And so God is doing justice. He's, ri he's raising up the, the oppressed and the righteous, and he's, he's uh, warning and, and, and putting down the unrighteous and the unjust and the oppressing. And so when we look throughout the scriptures, we see justice is doing right by God and doing right by others. And in our culture, we see that that concept of justice is often confused because it's, it's unmoored from God, right? That biblical justice is doing right by God, and God's the one who helps us understand what's right, and doing right by others, doing right for the common good. But see, now as, as so many people are detached from God and don't consider God, what happens is then justice becomes, well, what's fair to me? What's just, what's justice is defined by, by me or my small group. So in Micah, God calls out the leaders the, uh, because they've been leading the people away from God and they've been using their power to exploit people instead of bless them. You see, when justice is really about me getting mine, then when I have the power, well, then I will use people. I won't bless them. And so God is often calling out uh, the, the leaders. And here, in, right after, um, in Micah 6, 1 through 8, right after that, God specifies several injustices committed by his people and by the leaders. He talks about dishonest business practices, violence, and deceit. And Micah announces that soon 
right? God is going to bring those unjust and those powerful down. In fact, the Assyrians are going to come and wipe out the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is, is just going to barely survive, but eventually the Babylonians are going to come and bring them low because they are not doing justice. So yes, most simply, doing justice means doing right by God and others. And I mean by, for common good, not just me. So there's things we don't do because they're unjust. We don't lie. We don't, we don't cheat to gain advantage. We treat people fairly. We don't use them, right? And especially if we look out the scriptures, when we see who God is most concerned for, it's often those marginalized people who have less influence, so they're easier to exploit, so oftentimes, you, if you read the scriptures enough, you'll notice this refrain, right? The widows, the fatherless, the alien, and the poor. Why does God always talk about those people? Because they are on the margins. They're most easily exploited because they don't have power. They don't have influence. And so God, remember, he's like, I want to do good by all people. And so these people are often exploited so a part of justice is raising them up. It's raising them up. We don't just, and so there's this, this refrain about don't exploit them. Don't use those people just because you can. Because often people who are powerless, you can use them to advance your agenda because no one's going to do anything. Oh, they're just poor. They're just widows. They're just the fatherless orphans. God says no. But it's more than just don't exploit there's a positive command to lift up the oppressed. So the Old Testament examples, they're all over the place. So instead of cho choosing 20, I just chose one. Um, Deuteronomy 15.11 says this, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And in case we think this is just an Old Testament command, Jesus often repeats that need to lift up, right? Blessed are the poor, right? Because, again, those are the folks that are often um, disadvantaged. And God says, no, in, in my kingdom, I'm raising up everyone who bears my image. But I think one of the things we have to remember, and, and when I talk about this, it's difficult because you know what our minds immediately do? We frame things often in, uh, when it comes to justice and whatnot, immediately in political terms, right? Before we like, yeah, I want to understand what the Bible says about justice. We often impose a political grid on it so that we read the scriptures through that grid. But as Christians, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look in the scriptures first and say, all right, what does God say about justice? What is his heart? And then, and then examine it to other things. And and when we do that, one of the things we'll also notice is that doing justice happens in relationships, right? One human being to another, where it begins with that relationship. We immediately think, oh, justice, that's like government stuff. No, the scripture always talks about it being a, a, a thing that we do in our relationships, that each person is supposed to do justice. Of course, yes, the, the leaders, but also each person. And it happens in relationships. We seek to lift up, to do right by another human being. And it begins with acknowledging the truth 
that human beings are made in the image of God. And therefore, each human being has intrinsic worth. So it's not right, it's not just to treat some people as worthless, right? Worth less than me or worth less than my group. That's not just. And that's why in the Bible, justice is so often tied to special concern for widows, orphans, aliens, and refugees because those were the people who said, eh, I don't know. They don't, they don't have much money, so maybe they're worth less because they have less money. Or they have less influence, so maybe they're worth less as a person. So that's one of the reasons the Bible is, is often tied to special concern for marginalized people, people who have their worth questioned. God has special concern for these people. And again, we can look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 and 19. We won't for time's purposes, but you can look that up. But people who are being laid low, we seek to lift up. We seek to advocate for their worth. You know, in our society, many people, they're, they're put away, when they get older, put away in a nursing home, right? And a lot of people say, yeah, that's, you know, you know life's not worth much then. Someone in a nursing home is not worth less than anyone else. They are made in the image of God. They are image bearers of God. Someone with Down syndrome or a developmental um, um, issue. Some people in their mind, they say, no, th those people, they're worth less you know, than, than, than normal people. That is not true. They are made in the image of God. And they have just as much intrinsic worth as anyone else. Some people treat unborn children as if they are worth less. But if the fatherless and the orphan are to be protected, are not those children in the womb also bearing God's image? They are image bearers. They're not worth less. Or the homeless. Uh, they don't have any money. They're drug addicts. And we treat them as someone who's worth less. Oh, their life isn't worth as much. But they are image bearers of God. Or the illegal alien. Well, they're not Americans, so their lives aren't worth as much as ours. They are image bearers of God. And so justice starts with a simple acknowledgement that people are made in God's image and have intrinsic worth. And oftentimes, before that message even goes out, before the church can, can clearly stand on the truth that every human being is an image bearer of God, that they matter, that their lives are worth something, immediately political concerns get sprinkled in there. And it's a tragedy because one of the things that we should be able to stand up in unity is, is that people are made in God's image and therefore they have an intrinsic worth, not based on what anyone says on this earth, but based on what God says. And he says that they are worthy. So how? How do we do justice? Well, we start by, as I said here, speaking up for the marginalized and, and for those who can't speak for themselves, who they can't speak for themselves, so therefore people assume, oh, they're, they're worth less. No, we speak up for them. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says this. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. 
judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So the Bible is full of teaching that establish that righteous people, just people, they look out for others. They especially look out for the downtrodden, whereas the wicked, they only look out for themselves. Really, that is the clear, that's the consistent teaching of the scripture. What's a righteous person? Oh, he looks out for the rights of others. But the wicked person is just about themselves, just about me, just about getting my own. An example of this, um, I don't know if, many of you probably don't watch Celtics basketball because they're not doing very well, but uh, there's a a person on the Celtics called Enos Cantor. He's a center. He doesn't play that much. He's not a Christian. I think he's a Muslim. But he is an example. He did, had an example of speaking up for those who couldn't speak for themselves last week. It caused quite a bit of controversy. Um, as you know, the, the NBA has a growing market in China. And uh, Nike, their main sponsor, has a growing and, and um, uh, produces a lot of their shoes and apparel in China. And the problem is, is that China also uses little slave labor. They'll take people who are of a religious minority, like Muslims or, or, or even sometimes Christians and, uh, or political people, and they will put them in factories and cause them to work. They'll take all of their rights away. And Enos Cantor's coming and saying, all right, NBA, you say you're all about justice, and yet... When you, you, uh, we can't mention the injustices that China is perpetuating in its own country, that we can't speak up against Nike because they're making a lot of money and some of this might be tied to that kind of labor. And so these people, they're in China, they can't speak for themselves. They're, the reason that some of them are in there with their rights taken away is because they spoke for themselves. And so Enos Cantor was pointing out that's, that's not just... So it begins with, and so there's an example of, it, yes, it begins with speaking up for, the, for those who can't speak for themselves, but it also has to be more than words. It has to be more than words. We are doing justice. We're doing justice because there's also this sort of uh, trend in our culture that it just settles for sloganeering, that as if doing justice is, is putting something up on Facebook, that's just words. Like, that's just virtue signaling without doing justice in our relationships. And others are, are so focused on the government doing justice that they neglect it in their own life. So the, the call, we first and foremost, that call to do justice, it's a call to each one of us. It starts with self. It starts with in my immediate relationships. Am I treating other people as image bearers of God? Am I especially connecting and treating those who are downtrodden as image bearers of God and how I relate to people? Because so often we'll just shoot up a slogan or we'll think, well, what, what should the government do about it? But the first thing, as a Christian, the first thing we need to do is how am I doing justice in my relationships? And so how can we do that? Well, how can we step up? Yes, we speak up, but we also need to step up. We need to step up and lift up those in our immediate relationships. We need to treat others as image bearers of God, especially those who most consider insignificant, and hear me now, this is the hard part, and especially those who we consider our enemies. Right? 
Because oftentimes, what happens? What does our culture tell us? That if someone opposes you, if you're, you know, um, disagrees with you, then they're your enemy, so what do you do? You dehumanize them. You, you challenge their worth as a human being. That's unjust. They are image bearers of God. Your enemy, the person you disagree with most vehemently, they are an image bearer of God. They have intrinsic worth. And so you better, if you, if you um, honor and trust in the God of the universe, then we're called to honor his image in other people, even if they disagree with us. And I know that's hard. It's so difficult. But if we follow that ju- the, the God of justice... If he is number one, then we need to recognize that every person bears his image and treat them that way. That's one of the ways we honor God. One of the ways we honor God is by by honoring his image bearers. So what does that look like? It means fellowship. It means that we have relationships. We invest our time and our care on people, especially those who are marginalized, because it's really hard to dehumanize someone when you're eating a meal with them. So yeah, that literally means spending time with people. But it also means using influence and the resources we have, not just for ourselves, but for others who need to be lifted up. Think about the Good Samaritan, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan. It's about how do we love our neighbor But what did he do? There was someone who was downtrodden. He took his money. He brought that person to an inn. He gave the innkeeper money and said, take care of him. Why? Because he was in a bad way. He was downtrodden at that moment. And so the Good Samaritan uses his resources, not just for himself, because the other people, they just pass by. They're like, well, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to invest my time and my resources on that guy. After all, he's all beaten up and he's lying on the ground. You know, maybe he deserved it. You know, because oftentimes people don't get beat up like that unless they deserve it. The Good Samaritan didn't think that, that, that he used his resource. And so to do justice, it means that we don't just use our influence and our resources for ourselves, but for others who need to be lifted up. So doing justice, loving our neighbor, it goes hand in hand. We think, how can I use my resources and my influence to bless others? instead of what we often think, and that is, how can I influence others to bless me? How can I use other people and their resources to bless me? No, biblical justice is doing right by God and doing right by people. Now, I know many of you are thinking, all right, well, how about politics? I know we can't help it. So in our representative democracy, we have a small amount of influence on government. Just a small amount, but we have a small amount, and that is a blessing. And just as God gives us everything, every resource, we are to be good stewards of that thing. And so, yes, we we want a just government, but make no mistake, it's no substitute for doing justice in our own relationships. We also, as Christians, we have to understand that earthly governments are all temporary, that earthly governments all have, they're, they're, they're um, led by fallen people, and therefore they have fallen systems, and we have to place our hope in God's eternal kingdom. Like that, that we have to truly understand, and that 
that God's plan for extending his kingdom is no longer tied to any particular geopolitical entity. It's now tied to the church. The, the, the theocracy of Old Testament Israel has given way to the transnational church that belongs to and advances God's kingdom throughout the globe throughout the globe, that salvation is through Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And you know, when the early Christians said that Jesus is Lord, not only did it have fine overtones, but it also was very subversive to the Roman government because Caesar is Lord, right? The C Caesar is the Savior and Lord. And Christians said, no, no, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. It's his kingdom that we are waiting for. It's his kingdom that we put our hope in. The New Testament view is that earthly governments are temporary, but they are ordained by God to enforce the common good, not just the good of the powerful. So governments, they can promote justice by keeping order, right? Limiting chaos, because if there's chaos, if, if, um, if foreign armies are coming and taking our stuff away, like that's not just. Right? If, if internally there's chaos, that's not just. People will lie and steal and beat each other up. That's not just. So government exists to, for everyone's well-being. And that's why the New Testament says when it comes to government, authorities, you know, obey them. Unless they say, tell you to do something that's really against a clear command of God and pay taxes. And pray for them. Pray for your leaders. And remember, when, when the Apostle Paul and Timothy told us to pray for our leaders, the Caesars at that time, the, the Caesar that was probably on the throne was Nero. And Nero, he killed Christians. He used them basically as torches uh, to, to light Rome. He'd light them on fire. And yet Paul is saying, no, you need to pray for your leaders. Because he understood that governments, yes, they exist to, to sort of keep order and promote justice, but because they are human, earthly things, I don't ultimately put my hope in them. That ultimately, I just put my hope in God's kingdom. And I pray that God will give us the freedom to spread his gospel that changes from the inside out. So whatever influence we have over our government, the Bible says, all right, basics or the government should advance the common good, give us freedom to, to do God's work, to protect the weak and the marginalized, and not, to not exploit them. Now, Christians, we can disagree on the best way to do that, but we have to agree that, yeah, that's what God wants from governments. But then good Christians can disagree. Free markets, they've lifted more people out of poverty than any other system. Other people are like, well, no, but the government should do more. We can disagree on the how. But what we can't disagree on is the fact that God is a God of justice, and he wants that justice to reign in our relationships. But it starts with us. It starts with a person. That's what we do. It's not just things for the government to do. It's we do right by God and others in our interactions every day. And it begins with speaking up. But it also means stepping out to those who are treated as lesser, that we are not going to go the course of the world and treat these types of people as worth less. No, they are worth uh, much because they're image bearers of God. We treat every human as an image bearer of God with as much worth as me, as, as much worth as my loved ones. And we seek to advance the common good, not just our self-interest. All right, quickly, I just want to touch on love kindness because it's, all right, do justice, Love kindness. The word here for kindness that's used is hesed. 
It's the, it's the Hebrew word hesed, which often is translated loving kindness or God's covenant faithfulness. And so if we're going to love hesed, what that means is that we understand, we understand that God has kept his end of the covenant, that God is full of kindness towards us. That's why, remember, in verses 4 and 5, it's, it's that, hey, God, God says, hey, remember all that I did for you? Remember how I kept my end of the covenant? Remember the kindness and the loving loyalty that I showed you when I took you out of slavery in Egypt? Do you remember how when you were downtrodden, I lifted you up? Well, I want you to be filled with that kind of love, that kind of hesed, and now I want you to show it to other people. It's a both kind of thing. Love that loving kindness. Be faithful and, and love God and love people. Again, it goes, hesed goes along with that concept of justice, that what we've received, what we know of God, we want to show to other people. And then finally, walk humbly with your God. Do, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. God is number one. He's not a means towards an end. And that's what they were treating him like. Oh, well, what can we do to kind of appease God so he can let us do what we want to do anyways? No, no, that's, that's not how things go. The kings were self-centered, again, which caused them not only to use people, but also to use God. They were more interested in what God can do for me. They were interested in how can God's image bearers, how can they serve me and my agenda? No, we do right by God. He is the Lord. And if we're doing right by God, we do right by his image bearers. Because people don't exist to bear and promote our image, right? But God's image. And because of that, we need to walk humbly with our God. So as we go about our day, yeah, when we think about justice, we might start thinking about government stuff. But I challenge you to first think about your own relationships, in your relationships, is it about advancing myself? Do we use God and others for our purposes? Or do we lift up the name of God and do we lift up others, especially those who we know have been sort of downtrodden? So think of one person in your life, and maybe as we sing the last song, pray about this. Think about one person in your life who maybe you've treated as less than, or maybe you just know other people treat as less than. How can you lift them up this week? How can you speak up for them or, or, or step up? How can you lift up those around you, not just lift up yourself? And if every one of us would do justice in that way, then it would make a huge difference in the church, right? Our church would be known, every church would be known as people who lift up others, and then the church would have its effect on our larger society. People would look at the church and say, you know, they, they walk in justice. Man, they really believe that thing that everyone's made in the image of God because look at how they treat the throwaway people. But unfortunately, that is not the reputation that the church in America has. But instead of looking at how can, other, you know, how can we change that on a macro level, Let's look, how can we change that today in my interactions with somebody? Think about that one person. Allow God to put that person on your heart. Because in order to walk the walk, we have to walk in justice. More than slogans, but it's the Spirit of God who will empower us to walk humbly with Him and to love Hesed, to love loving kindness, and to do justice. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we are so interested and concerned with ourselves that it causes us to not do right by you, God, and not do right by others. Lord, we pray right now that you would put on our hearts and our minds, each one of us, God, would you put on in our hearts and minds somebody in our life who's downtrodden, who the world treats as less than. And then, Lord, give us, give us that, that resolve and that plan to go and build them up, to go and lift them up. And, Lord, maybe it's a group of people, a certain group of people who we consider as less than. Lord, as we look at people, may we see them as your image bearers. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, fill us so that we would see people as you see them. Lord, and that we would see their worth in you. And Lord, may we reflect that. And God, we thank you. We thank you that one day your justice will roll down like, with, like a river. And Lord, that every tongue, tribe, and nation will gather together and praise your name. That Lord, although earthly governments are fallen, they're frail and they're temporary, your kingdom lasts forever. And we thank you that, that at the end of days, Lord, again, there's going to be people of every tongue, tribe, and nation praising you. And Lord, justice will reign because you reign. We thank you for that promise. But until that day, Lord, may we, your people, advance your justice in our lives and in our land. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.